Joey, you touched my heart. I get a little weepy over there. Those were such nice and affirming words. I just wish most of them were true. So uh, I will say this, uh, Sadie, you are welcome to take any class that I'm part of any time. And I do know for a fact that both Maddie and Kinnan think you rock. So, hey, so good to be here with all of you today. I appreciate very, very much the opportunity. Uh, if you get to know me, and I think this is a true statement, I, I tell people uh, I'm a pastor who has made a career out of masquerading as a seminary professor. And there's no other place I would rather be than in church on Sunday morning, here with all of you, getting to share the word of God. Uh, what I want to do normally is I, I usually read the scripture and pray. Uh, I'm going to reverse that. I'm going to pray very quickly, and then we're going to read the scripture we're going to look at this morning, and we'll see what the Lord would teach us. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to look at a passage out of Matthew 15. Father, thank you so much for this day your grace, your mercy, your compassion, and your love. Lord, I ask now that as we look into your word, by your spirit, you would show us what you want us to hear. And we ask this in the great name of Jesus and for our sake. Amen. Our text this morning comes from Matthew 15, starting in verse 21, and I think it will be on the screen behind me here. <clears throat> Here's what uh, the apostle writes. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Does anyone here beside me think that Jesus seems to be a little bit rude to this woman? Maybe a little bit sexist? Maybe even a little bit mean? Uh, I have to admit that for years and years, whenever I came across this particular episode in the life of Jesus, it really, really bothered me because it seemed so inconsistent with the other facets of his life and the way he normally responded to other people, even really, really sinful people like tax collectors and prostitutes. But over the last couple of years, I've been helped in my study of this text by some great scholars and teachers, such as Ken Bailey and John Ortberg and Dale Bruner. And now this passage has become one of my all-time favorite stories of Jesus' encounters with different people. Let me try to explain what's going on here and why I like it so much. 
Now, as you know, Jesus was the master teacher. And as a teacher, he knew that sometimes you lecture and sometimes you model and sometimes you give your students experiences in order to help them grow. And Jesus was an expert at what some educators call deliberately induced frustration. (laughs) For example, he would tell his disciples to feed crowds when they didn't have any food. Or he would tell his disciples to get in a boat when he knew a huge storm was coming up upon them. Or he'd tell them to cast out demons when they had no ability to do that whatsoever. Jesus regularly used deliberately induced frustration to probe his disciples and to find out where they were on the spiritual growth chart. Now, that's part of what he's doing here. But that's not all that he's doing here. As you know, teachers also like to give tests on a consistent basis. And Jesus did that as well. A moment ago, I mentioned Ken Bailey, who was one of the finest New Testament scholars of the past generation. And he says that in order to grasp the encounter here between Jesus and this Canaanite woman, we have to understand that Jesus is testing two sets of people. First, he's testing the woman. And second, he's testing the disciples. Now, in just a moment, we're going to see that the test that the woman gets is different from the test that the disciples get. So, as we walk through this story verse by verse, what we want to try to determine is who aces their test and who gets an incomplete. We want to see who passes and who fails. And most important of all, friends, we want to see what these tests have to teach you and me as the followers of Jesus in 2023. Now, to discern all that, first of all, we need to understand the background to this encounter. This story takes place in the region of Tyre and Sidon, which were two Phoenician cities way to the northwest of Israel, far to the northwest of Galilee. The Jews absolutely despised the people who lived there. Josephus, the first century Jewish historian who lived around the time of Jesus, wrote, the people of Tyre and Sidon are our bitterest enemies. And as many of us here know today, that's how many Israelis feel about Palestinians. Uh, To see how badly the Jews regarded the people of this region, we only need to remember Jesus' words of judgment in Matthew 11.20. There he warned the Jewish people of the cities of Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida that if the miracles he had done in their cities had been performed up here in Tyre and Sidon, those pagans would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Essentially, he was saying to the Jewish people of those cities, even the most wicked people you know, the bottom of the moral and spiritual barrel. People who sacrifice children to the fires of their gods and goddesses. Those people would have repented if they had seen what I had done. The point is that as good Jewish young men, 
the disciples would have automatically regarded this woman as an enemy. They would have viewed her as a member of the most spiritually degraded, morally reprobate group that they knew. Her people were the worst of the worst. In their eyes, she was a complete and total outcast. Oh, but friends, notice how she approaches Jesus. In verse 22, she comes with the traditional cry of a beggar. Have mercy on me. And then she adds the title Lord to her petition. Now, while that could mean sir or master as well as Lord in the divine sense, the fact is she repeats it two more times in this story. And she calls Jesus the son of David, which is a term that's used for the Messiah. So it's really, really clear that she does know something about Judaism. She's very humble. She's deeply respectful. Friends, she's willing to cross some ethnic and gender boundaries that simply were not crossed in her day. Now look again at verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. I mean, her daughter is suffering horribly. And so she appeals to Jesus with humility and reverence and and intelligence. And he acts like he doesn't hear. He responds with silence. And what appears to be indifference. And maybe even rejection. And and you know, you just got to know, that felt really, really bad. Friends, let's pay attention to this. Matthew doesn't try to hide this. Remember, he was an eyewitness expert to this episode. He was there. He saw this happen. And so he deliberately draws attention to it here in the text because he wants you and me to grapple with what Jesus is up to here. Jesus is giving a test, and tests are not always pleasant to the ones being tested. I did my graduate work up at CU in Boulder, and we were part of the American system. And in the American system, you do coursework, which was 10 to 12 seminars. And then you do what they call comprehensive exams, where they examined you in four fields that your coursework covered. And then you do your dissertation. Well, when I finished my coursework, I was kind of gearing up to do my comps. And I thought, I kind of need a feel for what I'm going to encounter. And so I asked a student named Joan, who was a few years ahead of me, in terms of age, but a semester ahead of me in terms of the graduate program. And she was a great student, like straight A's, awesome. Figured if anybody could tell me the truth about comps, she could. So I asked her one day, I said, hey, Joan, how did comps go? She said, Scott, it was combat. And I kind of laughed. I said, yeah, right. What, what, What do you mean? She goes, Scott, apart from having my two kids, it was the hardest thing I ever went through in my life. Kind of got my attention. So I studied for my comps. And then comps came. It was Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday. And you go and you sit in this room. And at 9 a.m. you're sitting there. And this was before laptops. So you're doing everything out of blue books and and pencil. And a graduate student comes in and they give you a list of the questions on that field. And there are six questions. You choose any three of the six and then you write for four hours. She did that Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday. And then, this is before email. And the history department at CU in Boulder had this mentality of kind of academic Darwinism. Let's see if we can weed out the weak and only the strong can survive. 
So they would only give you one retake if you didn't pass, so you're under a lot of pressure. And then to make it even worse, after, after you're done, instead of giving you a phone call or calling you in to tell you, hey, you passed or you got to do a retake, they made you wait and they would send you a letter in the mail. And it came to my house 10 days later. And I remember pulling it out of the mail. And I hesitated. Now, you got to know something about me. I'm much more of a Presbyterian than I am a Pentecostal. <laughs> but when I opened it up and it said, you passed, I almost spoke in tongues. <laughs> it was a really, really hard testing experience. Well, it's clear that Jesus is also giving this woman a really tough test. So she's got a decision in the face of his silence. How, how much do I really want healing for my daughter? How far am I willing to go to get her help? How much am I willing to trust this Jewish rabbi? But we also need to know, friends, Jesus is not just testing her. He's also testing the disciples. Now, they're not at all surprised by his silence in the face of a request because from their perspective, no respectable rabbi would have talked to a woman in public, let alone a pagan woman from Tyre and Sidon. They were all really familiar with the ancient rabbinic saying, he that talks with womankind brings evil on himself, neglects the study of Torah, and at last will inherit Gehenna, which is hell. So, the disciples are not at all taken back that Jesus seems to ignore her. But what they don't get is he's also testing them. He wants to know, do they really understand his heart for everybody, including Gentiles, including women? Do they really, really get what he's about? Well... Verse 23 notes that they respond pretty strongly. Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. John Ortberg makes the wonderful insight in his exposition of this text that their response here is really pretty grandiose. She hasn't said anything to them. She comes to Jesus. But they very generously include themselves in Jesus' ministry and power. She's bothering us. They always need us. Everybody wants a piece of us. Send her away from us. They're the disciples. They're the ones in the know. They're the ones who are connected to him. They're the inner circle. They want to put a wall up around Jesus and keep everybody out that they don't like. Human beings are pretty good at building walls, aren't we? And I'm not talking about border walls for national security. I'm talking about relational walls. I mean, <clears throat> kids in the backseat of cars, and maybe some of you experienced this this morning in the backseat of cars, say, don't you cross that line or I'll tell mom. Sometimes walls get built between husbands and wives, don't they? On occasion. Walls get built between people who work together. Certainly walls get built between races and cultures and nations. 
I mean, all you have to do is watch the evening news for 10 minutes and you see that. So friends, let me ask us this individually, and you need to know, I'm asking myself this as well, and I mean that seriously. Are we building walls towards other people? Or are we inviting them into relationship with us? Now, let me ask you something here as participants at New Denver Church. Are we building walls in the church body? Or are we building relationships, especially with new people who come into the door for the first time? See, as we look at this story in Matthew 15, it's really clear that there is this absolutely huge wall between this desperate Gentile woman and these 12 very self-important disciples. And so what Jesus does is he goes on to give part two of his tests, both to the disciples and to her. Look at verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. You know, when I read that, on an initial reading, I think, why does Jesus say this? I mean, on so many other occasions in both word and deed, it's clear that he's not willing for any to perish and that he's come to minister to everybody. In fact, at one point, Jesus said that many would come from east and west and they would sit down and dine with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in God's kingdom. And that east and west, that, that's code for Gentiles. So, Why does he say this now when, in fact, as we saw, he responds to the woman's request later on? Well, what he's doing is he's giving the disciples an experiential test. See, he could lecture them again about the value of every person, and he could remind them about the necessity of helping out people in need when they come to you. But see, in this case, what Jesus wants to do is he wants them to feel her pain. He wants them to learn to empathize with her struggle. He wants them to hear the cries of her horribly broken daughter as she screams out in agony. So even though it appears by Jesus' statement here in verse 24 that he agrees with the disciples, please note this, this is really, really important. He does not send her away. See, he wants to know if any of the disciples will say, Hey, Jesus, you know that sermon that you like to go around preaching all the time where you tell us that we're supposed to love our enemies? How does does that relate here? Hey, Jesus, you know, I know she's she's a pagan Canaanite woman, but couldn't you make an exception in her case? Or, hey, Jesus, her little girl's really, really suffering and you've got the gift of healing. Couldn't you just, couldn't you just lay your hands on her and, and heal her? See, he wants to know this. Do any of you guys have the guts to stand up for this woman and her little girl? Back in January of 2003, I got a notice in the mail from the city and county of Denver, the judicial department, because I live in Denver, that I was being cordially invited to participate in a grand jury for the year of 2003. 
Well, I got selected, and so every other Wednesday from the end of January of 2003 all the way through December, I went downtown along with 15 other of my co-Denverites to serve on the grand jury panel B to help the district attorney of Denver investigate and prosecute criminal activity. We investigated all kinds of things from petty theft to gangland murders and everything in between. One of the earliest cases that was brought to us, though, was one of the most heartbreaking. There was this little two-year-old girl, Alizé Rygard, and she had been beaten to death over about a year by her mother and her mother's boyfriend. And a cousin had reported it, and so what the DA's office did was they subpoenaed all these people, all these people in the apartment, all these people in the family, all these people in the neighborhood, all these people who had seen what was going on time and time again, day by day, as she was beaten and eventually died. And the DA would get them on the witness stand and question them. And it was just horrifying because they all said they didn't see or hear a thing. Nobody would stand up for that little baby girl. And at this point, the disciples won't stand up for the Canaanite woman and her daughter. But friends, we also need to know that at the exact same time that Jesus is testing the disciples, he's making the woman go through part two of her test. Uh, she just heard Jesus say, hey, you're an outsider. I'm the son of David. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You're not on my mission or you're not part of my strategic plan. You're not on my list of goals and objectives and people to be ministered to this year. So why should I help you? And once again, here's the question for her. Is her concern for her daughter so deep, her conviction about Jesus' compassion and power so strong that she will persevere in her petition even when he seems unwilling? Let's note what she does. Look at verse 25. She comes and she kneels before him. And once again, she utters that single phrase, the cry from deep within her heart, Lord, Lord, help me. Now remember, 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 the disciples are right there. They're feet away. They're watching this whole encounter. And you just know the tension starts to build in them. Because their theology... What they had been taught in synagogue since they were really, really young tells them that this woman is to be shunned, ignored, and turned away. And you you know something, something inside of them starts to get touched, to be moved. I mean, this is the desperate cry of her mom for her little girl is an emotional and physical and spiritual agony. Could it be? Could it possibly be that God is bigger than the theology that they were taught? So Jesus pushes them on to part two of their test. He gives voice to their theology. Verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Well, the meaning of this statement is really clear. The children of the Israelites, the Jews, the disciples, the dogs were the Gentiles, the pagans, like this woman. In the ancient Near East, dogs were despised animals. They were scavengers and garbage eaters and almost considered as unclean as pigs. But that's not true for us, is it? This is what we do. (laughs) 
This is how we treat our dogs. I don't know if you heard that story that happened a couple of years ago about that German shepherd that was put in a crate and shipped accidentally from San Francisco to Tokyo in the baggage. And that's what I think a 15-hour trip. He was supposed to go from San Francisco down to San Diego. Well, it traumatized him, and the owners were so upset that they threatened litigation. So the airline bought him a new crate, stuffed it full of goodies, put it in first class, and flew him back from Tokyo to San Francisco. That's how we view dogs. But there was no room in the ancient Jewish village, the ancient Jewish home, the ancient Jewish synagogue, or anywhere respectable for dogs. See, in effect, what Jesus is saying to the disciples is, you want me to get rid of her? You want me to limit my ministry just to Israel? Okay, I can do that. And then you can watch her agony and hear the screams of her daughters because you think she's just a dog. See, Jesus is using some really harsh language about dogs to force the disciples to face themselves, to give voice to what they've really been thinking and feeling privately. See, it's one thing to talk about somebody behind their back. You've done that. I've done that. It's an entirely different thing to tell somebody to their face what you really think about them, especially if what you think about them is ugly and distasteful, and they're a person in need. See, Jesus is giving the disciples the relationship test. He wants to know, gentlemen, you're my guys. Love you, love you. But will any of you stand up for her? Will any of you reach out to her? Will any of you love on her? And the answer is, no. None of them will. And this is the end of their test. They're going to get an incomplete on the report card today. There will be other tests down the road, and in time, they'll do better. They're still learning. But today, they didn't do too well. You know, Jesus is giving some of us in this room this morning the exact same test that he gave the disciples. It's the relationship test. There's somebody in our life that we're having a really, really hard time offering genuine, authentic, Christ-like love for. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's even a spouse. Or maybe it's someone here at New Denver Church. Or maybe like the disciples, in our heart of hearts, it involves a whole group of people that we have problems with. Maybe it's gay people, or maybe it's African-American people, or maybe it's poor people. See, Jesus gives all of us the relationship test on a pretty regular basis, and he wants us to pass it by showing people love. And even if we don't feel that way, he wants us to come to him and say, Lord, I don't really care about this person. I don't really like this person. But by your grace, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, will you help me treat them with respect, with dignity? And if they have a need that I can meet, help me meet that need.
That's the will of God. That's the way of Christ. He wants every one of us, you and me, to get an A on the relationship test. But Jesus is also looking for people who can complete another test, and this one takes us back to the woman. In verse 26, when Jesus talks about giving the children's bread to the dogs, there's something really interesting that you only see in the original text. In Greek, there are two words that could be used for dogs, and I think it's very, very significant that Jesus uses the softer the diminutive word here meaning little doggy or puppy. He's not talking about attack dogs like Doberman pinchers. He's talking about little vulnerable pups. He does that for her sake. And now she faces the hardest part of her exam. Will she run away? Will she give up? Will she insult Jesus back for his lack of apparent concern? Or is her love for her daughter so deep, her trust in Jesus so deeply strong, her faith in his compassion so great that she won't give up? Friends, her response is amazing. Look again at verse 27. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. I mean, for the third time she speaks to him, for the third time she calls him Lord. Even now, without getting what she wants, she still calls him Lord. But we also need to understand that the tone and the flavor of her response is really interesting. She picks up on Jesus' use of the word doggy or puppy, And then she adds that emphasis to the word crumbs. In the original text, her response literally reads, Yes, Lord, but even the little dogettes get the little crumbettes from their master's table. It's like she comes back at Jesus with some grace and some some wit and some, some grit. I mean, there's an element of playfulness here. It's almost as if she's verbally sparring with Jesus. It's almost like she's got a little attitude going, saying to Jesus, well, uh, uh, of course, Lord, by all means feed the kids, but I'll bet you have some tiny crumbs left over for me and my daughter. She's just not going to quit. I have a cousin named Lauren, and about three years ago, she and her husband, Rob, decided to do an Ironman triathlon. And my wife, Melanie, and I were out to dinner with them a few weeks before they were going to do this. And they were laying out for us what they had to do. Bike 50 miles, swim 5 miles, and then run 26 miles. And you had to do this in like a 15-hour period of time. I'm sitting there at dinner, and I'm exhausted hearing about it. Well, they went and did it, and Rob did pretty well. I think he finished with like six or seven hours to go. Lauren really, really, really struggled. I mean, after the bike ride of 50 miles and the swim of five miles, and then you have to run, a, 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 you know, basically a marathon. The last few miles of the marathon, she, her feet were really hurting. She could barely walk, but she kept going. She kept going. She kept going, and the time's ticking down, and it's ticking down, and literally like at three minutes before midnight, which was the cutoff, she crossed the finish line. She would not quit. This Canaanite woman's just like that. She's just not going to give up. See, friends, this is the endurance test. The disciples got the relationship test. 
she's getting the endurance test. And my guess is some of you in this room this morning are going through this right now. Something's going on in your life and it's really, really, really difficult and you don't know if you're ever going to find relief. But you know what? It's not just that. It's also that when you pray, when you kneel, when you beg, you don't understand God's response or his apparent lack thereof. It feels like he's silent. It feels like he's indifferent. In all honesty, it feels like he's being a little bit rude or hostile to you. And so here's the question. Will you keep the faith? Will you grow in faith? Will you pass the endurance test with your faith? One of my icons in church history was the great 18th century British evangelist, John Wesley. And we look back at Wesley and think how great he was. And he was. He was amazing. He changed English history and English Christianity. But Wesley underwent huge amounts of the endurance test. Let me quote to you from his journal. Sunday, May 6th, I preached at St. Lawrence's in the morning and afterwards at St. Catherine Cree's Church. I was unable to speak strong words at both and was informed that I was never to preach anymore in either of those churches. Sunday, May 13th, I preached in the morning at St. Anne's Aldergate and in the afternoon at Savoy Chapel, free salvation by faith in the blood of Christ. I was quickly apprised that I am never to preach in either of those churches again. Sunday, May 20th, I preached at St. John's Wapping at 3 and St. Bennett Paul's Wharf in the evening. At these churches, likewise, I am forbidden to ever preach. Sunday, May 27th, I preached at St. Antholin's in the morning and was told not to return. In the evening, I preached at Bath in a field, but was chased out by a bull let loose by an angry farmer. <laughs> Sunday, June 3rd, in the morning, I preached near St. Isaac's, but was accosted and challenged by a man named Nash, who told me my preaching violated all kinds of acts of parliament. Sunday, June 10th, I declared to about 10,000 in Murfields what they must be do to be saved. I again insisted on the foundation of all our hope. Believe in the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. Hundreds were touched by the grace of God and prayed to receive the Savior. Some of you in here this morning are facing the endurance test. Some of you are going to face it in the near future. So the question you have to answer is this. Will you keep going in faith even when you don't know why or when you'll get relief? When you cannot get the answers that you want that will make the pain go away, will you say, Lord, you are my Lord even when your ways are not clear to me? Will you keep going with all the grit and the grace and the wit you can muster and live in faith that one day he will set things right. You know, the Canaanite woman in this story not only amazed Jesus, I think she blew the disciples away in terms of her spiritual commitment. I mean, they'd never seen anybody show such confidence in the Lord or demonstrate such all-out, pedal-to-the-metal, risk-taking faith. And when she approached Jesus, they thought that they were watching their inferior, the bottom of the spiritual and moral barrel, 
a dog that they would never, ever let into their circle of fellowship. But as we've seen, she's relating to Jesus on a level of humility and reverence and boldness that at this point they can't quite match. And so Jesus looks her in the eye. The mask comes off. The test is over, and now it's time for the grades to be given out. Look what he says in verse 28. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. I mean, the word that's used for great here comes from the Greek word mega. And we use it for phrases like mega stars and mega churches and mega malls. She had mega faith. This poor pagan Canaanite woman from Tyre and Sidon who everybody thought was the bottom of the moral and spiritual barrel, she's honored by the one before whom she knelt and called Lord and who she would not let go of. She gets an A-plus on the endurance exam. So friends, let me ask you, are you getting the relationship test today? Then respond in love. Are you getting the endurance test today? then hang in through thick and thin and show Jesus your mega faith. See, friends, the tests are going to come. You can count on that. And when they come, let's reach out in love and let's look up in faith. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing some more. Father, by your grace, By the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, give us love towards everyone we encounter and give us faith in you at all times, especially in the hard times. Lord, once again, thank you for your mercy, your compassion, and your grace to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.